Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Oberlin and BYU, truth and tenacity win. Dan Thomas and Tara Schultz, Schulte of CCDF, Counties and Citizens Defending Freedom, should probably correct my pronunciation, join me in studio to talk about CCDF, a great new organization, and what should patriots fight for in 2024. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to do a quick First Five today on things that happen on college campuses and uh, the outcome, at least with Oberlin, the definite outcome. Oberlin University, we talked about this case as it was ongoing, is currently in the process of paying a local bakery $36 million, Gibson's Bakery. And the very quick story again was there were three Oberlin students who went into this bakery very near the campus, used by faculty, administrators, students all the time, very popular place, and they shoplifted and they got caught. As they were or trying to run out, they, there were a physical altercation occurred between these students who were shoplifting, I think it was wine, it was, it was alcohol, I think, and, and one of the store employees. Short story, these three students uh, were shoplifting and, the, um, and they happened to be black. And so the students, instead of taking accountability for their conduct, decided instead to claim that Gibson's Bakery was racist and was profiling them. First, I think they tried denying they'd done it and then it was kind of a, it was no big deal, they shouldn't have picked on us. Well, as the facts unfolded, Oberlin University decided Instead of looking at the facts and understanding what occurred, they took the side of the students claiming that Gibson's Bakery had engaged in racial profiling and it just instigated an enormous controversy that filled the Oberlin campus. They had administrators making outrageous statements about this sweet little family-owned bakery, family-owned bakery. Many students stepping forward and saying, actually, I think they're really nice there. It seems like a great bakery to me. But they continued and continued to the point they or orchestrated a, the Oberlin University administrators, all sorts of outrageous statements I've read out loud in the show before, they orchestrated a boycott of this bakery. This is a bakery literally family-owned, and this is their livelihood. So the family decided to take action, and they, they sued Oberlin uh, University and numerous named individual administrators for essentially defamation, for lying about them. And end of the day, the school would not back down, would not say, hey, maybe we made a mistake here, got to a jury, and Oberlin was ordered eventually to pay this bakery $36 million. And I rate, so it is now in the process of being paid. The final appeal was rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, just you got nothing here, you know, school, sorry, it's what you did. And I want to make the point that there are a lot of victims in this case. Truthfully, it was outrageous how Oberlin behaved, but part of what infected the culture of the Oberlin administrators 
was really stemming from what the left does on the subject of race all the time. The endless discussion, relentless discussion of America being systemically racist, institutionally racist, teeming with racism. So these people who you assume are normally, must be fairly intelligent, they run a university, they can look at facts, they understand actually shoplifting is illegal. I don't, there wasn't a dispute as to what occurred. Their thought about the righteousness of standing up for these three students who were shoplifting, I, I'm, I attribute that, I lay that at the feet of the endless effort of the anti-American left to paint America as a deeply racist country. They felt justified in standing up for students who had indeed shoplifted, which is why they were in the case to start with. So Oberlin you know, tried and, and really, as far as I ever read, never backed down, never said, well, we might have overreacted. They, they were so proud of their behavior, which I think was in part why the jury punished them with such a significant uh, punishment. I mean, I, I, I think the bakery's still there. I think the owner, the, the, the dad who started that bakery, he, he, I believe he passed on during the course of this. But I want to make the point that the, among the victims are people in our culture who actually believe the political poison that the anti-American left infuses into America's culture calling America systemically racist, they thought it was kind of maybe believable. Maybe over, you know, maybe this poor, this um, bakery had just engaged in, in, in racial profiling. It, they lost their rationality. They lost their common sense. Even the students. I mean, most people, you know, if you shoplift, that's actually is against the law. They did not think, you know, maybe I should just see if I can work it out with the bakery. Maybe if I apologize and maybe I'll wash dishes for a week. I don't know. They could have found a way to say, look, we were out of line. We're sorry. But the indignation the students chose to engage in and the school backed in, it did in part come from what the harm done to America's culture by the anti-American left who worked so hard to infuse America to falsely accuse the vast majority of Americans as being secretly racist. All of that is the political poison the left puts in our culture played out at the Oberlin case, played out in Oberlin. And I hope that's one of the lessons that Oberlin learned, not just that you shouldn't defame people, but that actually they got carried away with the illusion of doing something noble and moral by standing up for students who, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not a violent crime, but you don't stand up and, per and perpetrate lies to defend students who actually did something wrong. Oberlin is one example, one other quick story, and to wrap up the first five. So at BYU, Brigham Young University, there was a uh, volleyball game, a, a girls' volleyball game, and there was a player from Duke, a, a, so it was a Duke-BYU game at BYU, and this uh, Duke player, uh, who is black, claimed that when she was serving uh, in volleyball, that there were racial epithets being tossed at her by the students on the, uh, in, the, in the stands who were from BYU. I'll just say as a quick, in, <laughs> quick side, uh, side note, our son played college basketball, and I know how raucous and rowdy and loud and relentless and personal the fans can be. I mean, I've sat through games. I thought it was bad when they were taunting kids who had made a shot in basketball and missed, and they're, and they're taunting, um, I can't even think of the name of the taunt, but they're just making fun of him for, for missing a shot. Students can be really crass. If, but what occurred and why it ties in the Oberlin case is this student at Duke claimed that the um, epithets or the things being yelled at her were racial epithets. And she identified one particular student and said that was the one who was saying that, making this racial slur. 
So, so initially, BYU banned that student from sporting events because you know, can't do that kind of thing. But actually, BYU looked into it. They played tapes of the games. They played all the tapes they could find. Not only could they not find anything that the student said, and you could, I mean, there's a lot of camera angles. They couldn't find any evidence of racial terms being yelled from the, um, from the stands. And again, there are more victims here than just that student who I believe they're ultimately going to let him come back to the, uh, to the um, student events, the sporting events at BYU. But the people who, I mean, instantly, of course, when this claim was made by this Duke volleyball player, you know, BYU issues an apology and we're going to look right into it, we're going to investigate, and they did, to their credit, they really, really did. But part of what happens when the left spends so much time falsely accusing America of being a deeply racist nation, that gets, it seeps into your consciousness, seeps into your perception of life. I'm, I'm saying it's possible this Duke volleyball player, she may actually have thought that's what she heard. Now, maybe it did happen and it just didn't get picked up on any of the cameras. That is possible. But the notion that she expected because BYU is overwhelmingly white and she anticipated perhaps there would be really racist comments, you know, she, she's a victim in a way too. She may not have even, that the statement she claimed was made may never have been made. But she expects to find racism. She went on some national television show to claim it, to complain about it, or to talk about it. And it would be deeply hurtful. Racism is evil. Flat out, racism is evil. Racial slurs, unacceptable. But my point in the first five as I'm wrapping it up is this. There is great harm being done to America by the left's endless use of race as a political weapon to divide America. They don't call out race because they're trying to bring about racial equality. The left uses race as a means to divide America into silos of people. They can convince to hate each other. They use it for political gain. And these two cases, both of them, are examples of one perhaps unintended result, but really result with many victims unfairly treated. And at the end of the day, the left, I believe, I hope they have a proverbial black eye over these two cases of Oberlin and BYU. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So what I want to talk about today, I mentioned we have a group that is joining me in the studio. Um, and every t I will tell you that I have Another friend in Dallas who's involved in this, and every time she tells me the name of the group, I have to say, can you repeat that? But the reason I want to talk about this group is this. This is an era of, of just massive explosion of grassroots activity. In America, I mean, really, the four years under Trump and most certainly in the most recent um, couple of years or almost a couple of years under Biden, just massive explosion of grassroots activity in this country. I love it. I love the idea of the American people being part of the political process. It is, in fact, the, as I point out on the show many times, America, the idea of America is we the people. We are the sovereign. That's what we the people means. We are the sovereign. And if we don't take our role seriously and get involved on issues, then you know, somebody is going to make a lot of rulings and policies and procedures and laws we may not like. So it's, I love activism. And part of what's happened really in the last 
I don't know how many years you say, six or eight or 10 or something. We have political parties, of course, always active, but we have these other kinds of groups forming to be activists, and whether they're on the right or the left or just pro-America, but they are active themselves, kind of not waiting for the political parties to okay what they want to do or to bless what they want to do. Well, that's what the CCDF USA is, and it stands for County Citizens Defending Freedom, CCDF, County Citizens Defending Freedom, and I sent to my very wonderful producer, Joe, who is here today on, on the job, I sent a, a short clip. The founder of this group did, he spoke at one of the Clay Clark rallies, and it's a short segment of Steve Maxwell, what he had to say, and then I'm going to bring on screen to talk with you, uh, two people involved in CCDF here in Dallas. It's all orchestrated. We began looking at BlackRock and Vanguard and the trillions of dollars they control and their leaders talking about a more of a globalist vision. We knew we were in trouble. And when we looked at our little county in central Florida with 800,000 people, we found 29 of these organizations in our county. And I promise you they're in your county. So we went to work. We first went with, uh, and, and, and sought out great counsel. One of the, I can't go through all of them, but Mike Ferris was one. Mike is the leader of Alliance Defending Freedom. He is a, is a great organization. Mike Ferris is the guy that got homeschooling legalized in all 50 states in the United States. Mike Ferris has also taken the lead with the Roe v. Wade case that they're about to decide on. So hats off to Alliance Defending Freedom. But Mike gave us one great advice and listen to me closely. He said, Steve, if you're going to build a program, you got to think generationally. You got to think long term. He said, but if you'll show up, be professional, have a good legal team and stay the course, 80% of your problems will go away. So we put our model together. Let me run through it real quick and we'll go through some wins that we've had. Okay, first of all, we decided this organization will embrace our spiritual heritage. We are endowed by our creator with with certain inevitable rights. Four times the creators mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. We also found out there's a code of conduct there too. That code of conduct says the law of nature and nature's God. Volumes written on that one phrase. There's our moral code as a nation. In other words, if I'll submit myself to the laws of nature and nature's God, I'm self-governed. I don't even need a government. That was the magic of America, right? So what do we have to do? We had to have some, some form of government to do certain things like secure our border. And so we created a constitution and really it's an organizational chart to separate the power because power corrupts good and bad men as we're finding out. Next, from that spiritual heritage, we formed our own code of conduct. We will act professionally in all that we do. We don't have to drag people out by the hair of the head. What we found out, if you have the courage to just speak the truth to whoever you're speaking it to. God will take care of the rest. The hounds of Aaron, heaven. If you would, please. You know what? There were actually, that was a very long speech you gave, a uh, relatively long speech at one of Clay Clark's Reawakened America rallies. And um, so he's a founder of this group, CCDF. I want to welcome to the show and in studio with me. Grateful to have both of them. Uh, Dan Thomas and Tara. Can you just say your last yes. name, please? Yes, Schulte. Schulte, you do say the E. Okay. I do. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> so these two individuals are here in, obviously in Texas where I am, um, and they are becoming involved with a group uh, here in our, this county here in 
North Texas, Collin County, I believe they're not formally yet designated as an organization part of CCDF, but they are mm -hmm. on board with the agenda, so I want to welcome both of them to the studio. Hello. All right. Hi. Great to be yeah. here. Thanks. Yes, it's thank gonna, you. It's going to be hard to follow up on Steve's speech there. He was on a roll. <laughs> yeah. he, he's great. Yeah, that was actually very, very good. One of you sent me that clip, and I was glad that you did. So I'm going to do a quick thing on your backgrounds. Tara, let's talk, before you got involved in uh, CCDF, are you brand new in politics? You've done it forever or what? Well, I was raised in a, well, an Air Force, in the Air Force. I was a brat. So, um, yeah, I was always in politics, voted. My kids had to come home from college to vote. Um, what got me really involved is the lockdowns uh, and the mandates. I started doing protesting, putting together groups that were going to, like, allow us to uh, say we need to have our freedoms not mandates, uh, especially your medical freedoms. Medical freedom is so important. So that's what I started with, and then I was approached um, to do CCDF. Okay, we'll hit on one minute what CCDF is doing, but Dan, your background before you got involved. Oh, well, I was actually never involved in politics either. And I, in fact, every year I signed a contract saying that I could not be involved in politics. Because you were in media. Yeah, yeah. I was the evening anchor at the Fox and CBS affiliate uh, just a couple of counties north of here in Sherman, Texas. And uh, everything, I thought it would be a lifelong job. Um, the state of the industry was what it was. Uh, pretty much in decline for a lot of reasons. We could spend uh, a whole half hour talking about that. But what happened to me was in October last year, I got fired for not complying with the vaccine mandate. And so that was a 21-year career that was over uh, within the span of a couple of weeks after Joe Biden put out that 100-employee mandate. And that ended my broadcast career effectively. And so I was wanting to know, you know what, how did we get to this point? Uh, how in a, in a state of Texas, nonetheless, yeah. uh, where we value our, our individual rugged individuality and freedom and liberties, how could this be allowed to happen? And so that kind of spurred me into the political realm and found my way to County Citizens Defending Freedom. And one thing that I noticed, and I noticed it happening last year, and I think you see it too, is that Texas is not leading the way anymore when it comes to individual liberty and freedom. Of all places, it's Florida, right? How <laughs> in the know. world did that happen? This is supposed to be a purple state after all, right? But time after time, we saw it during the lockdowns. We saw it in the response to COVID. Uh, we saw it with the parental rights bill. Mm -hmm. Time after time after time, Florida, of all places, is leading the charge when it comes to individual liberties and protecting them and our American values. And so why is that? So we started looking into it, and about 18 months ago, that's when County Citizens Defending Freedom got active in Florida. So yeah. I think it's a model that's proven to work. Mm -hmm. We can bring it here, and we can have Texas lead the country again when it comes to individual freedom. I'm in favor. I vote for that. I'm yes. in favor of that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, you know, I, I always say I love grassroots. I love the idea of citizens being involved. And one thing we were talking about before we um, came on air was how there's so much activism where, you know, people figure out issues and they show up at the school board or a city council or county commissioner's court and they have their facts ready and they make their pitch and they can't seem to get a reaction. They can't seem to get the elected officials to respond to, to, I mean, they might listen and nod along, okay, thank you very much, your time is up, but in terms of actually responding, so there is that, I mean, the expression I told you before we started was, I was thinking about, it's like, you know, people say you can't fight city hall, that was the old time <laughs> expression, you can bring arguments and make, and make your points, but you can't seem to move the ball, and I think many people 
really up until very recently felt that way, that they would, they would try to be activists and they couldn't get the, the uh, government officials to respond. It's changed a little bit in the school boards because the school board officials are realizing, wow, I, I actually might get voted out of office. The, the parents out there are outnumbering my allies. So the pressure's there. But what I love about, what I believe I understand about CCDF is that you're bringing not just activism, but um, the uh, expression we talked about before I came out was watchdog with teeth. I love that. So yes. Tara, I'll yes. go back to you. What is CCDF's like role model or, or you know model? How are you going to do this? Help activists be active. Well, it organically has grown. I mean, obviously, we're not established. Yet. We're very, very close. Um, but uh, citizens, once we got the word out that we're trying to start this in Collin County, they start coming to you. Um, they're coming to you with their needs. Uh, you know, the the commissioner's court. People are going to the commissioner's court. They feel like they hit walls. A lot of our citizens want paper ballots. Um, they're like, how can we get past this? How can we get help? Um, and county citizens, once we're established, we're going to try to help them with that. Um, also, with school boards, we have parents who feel that there's absolutely no movement. Uh, we can get one good, vetted uh, conservative on the board, but that's not enough. We need to get more people activated, more people running for those um, those boards. And we've got several in our county up uh, for flipping the boards, and we need to do it soon. So let me just say, one thing I meant to say, introducing it, maybe Steve said it, but it's a national organization national organization, but local bodies, county-based local um, entities or members, or whatever, is that the right word, members? Yes. Or? What it is, is, is we're county citizens defending freedom. And so basically we are here to protect our county. If we can protect our county, Collin County, we're going to protect Texas. And we have uh, chapters that are trying to be stood up in Dallas, Tarrant, Collin, and thankfully Denton just got stood up. So we are Being, literally. So they got enough money to be they an official. They are member. official. They are there. So uh, we are very close. I think by the end of the week, we are going to make it uh, ourselves. And so Collin County will be stood up soon. Okay. So, Dan, what good does it do? So you have CCDF says, okay, you're official Collin County. What do they provide to you that you can't just do as an activist yourself anyway? You know, I think we have a great grassroots system here. I know that for sure. We have so many great grassroots groups, but no one's looking at the overall picture for the whole county. And no one's really giving that legal and media backing that you need to really apply the pressure. So people find out about a certain situation happening in uh, one ISD. And then they don't realize that a similar one's happening over in another one. Or maybe someone knows something, they don't blow the whistle because they think they're the only one, or maybe it's just a one-off type situation. And so what CCDF can provide for that county is a coordinated effort to say, this is a county-wide issue. And they can alert parents through the media. Uh, we can go take them to court if need be. Uh, one of the things that CCDF did in Florida uh, was they fought the vaccine mandate. They got Disney to back down because one waiter, 17 years on the job, was about to lose his job. And they were able to get him the legal help that he needed to get Disney to reverse course. So that's, that's the kind of thing that we can bring that a grassroots group, they do a great job of, of, of alerting everybody in their group and maybe in that area, but they just don't have the organizational structure that it takes, the, the CFO services, the legal backing, uh, the media connections to get the word out. And so uh, one of the big things that CCDF provides on a national level is that they can 
get those stories out to national media outlets. They have the connections to do that with uh, public relations. People like you, of course, and uh, even other outlets that would be interested in the story, we can put together the story, make sure it's vetted, make sure it's been through the proper process. Uh, the, Steve talked a little bit about the code of conduct in there. They follow the Matthew 18 principle yeah. that the first thing that we do isn't going to be file suit. The first thing that we do isn't going to be jump on a podcast and tell everybody about this thing happening here. We're going to go address it with the decision makers directly. And if change isn't made immediately, then we're going to elevate it to that next level. And so that's what CCDF does. It brings a, a more of an organizational way to address the problems that our grassroots groups are doing a great job of uncovering. That's such a great way to say it. I mean, the um, the concept that I was mentioning a moment ago about being a grassroots person, heaven knows, I love rallies. I think rallies are fun. You know, I, I think it's great to show up and, 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 you know, just the mere size of a crowd showing up to make a statement is a great thing. But you can feel, as an activist, very frustrated, very, uh, you know, kind of tired of it all and exhausted and not moving forward. So what CCDF is going to do, I, first of all, I love the point you made about helping people understand each other, recognizing you have this issue in your county, but right over here, the next county has it, or even within your own county. So you're all understanding this is happening everywhere. You may be exchanging yeah. tactics or Absolutely. arguments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yep. Yes. So what, what we consider ourselves is that force multiplier for the grassroots. How is it? Force multiplier. Yes, the force multiplier. We do not sit here and say that we can do the do this without them because they are hardworking grassroots organizations out there volunteering and doing the hard and heavy lifting on that side of things. But what we can do is not only come in and be activists alongside you and help, we can bring in, when you do hit a wall, we can bring in the media, the pressure. We can bring in the legal if need be. And Steve has often said, if we have to go all the way to the Supreme Court, we will. Um, we'll do it because we're tired of our citizens not feeling like they're heard. And we do work with other, like another person that would be a prospective AED from uh, Dallas or Tarrant or Denton. We talk weekly. So what's going on in their county, I'm like, oh we've got the same thing going on in our county so we can kind of coordinate. So now it's not all these disjointed groups not coordinating. We are coordinating and we are working and making ourselves more powerful within our county and within our region. Okay, I love your point about media too. The idea that you can have all these meetings happening and you drive home and you're talking on the phone or whatever and you're recounting what occurred but if many people weren't there, if only a small number of people saw it, uh, and you you might be thinking, well, the whole county would agree with me if they just knew. But getting a little story out in the media, yeah. it does get the attention of the elected officials. So how do you? I mean, you are. are what is this? Once it's all set, what is your your role is going to be media? Is that right, yeah. Dan? Yeah, yeah. Well, we hope to have a podcast. Not that we're going to compete with you, of course. <laughs> yeah, don't, but, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but th that's just one of the things. But but more importantly, we're going to start a network of influencers like your. Yourself, uh, people that have outlets already, getting them the stories and saying, look, this is happening. We've checked it out. It's real. This is something you can run with and you can vet it yourself. Uh, Ready-made story ideas that are getting out there. I mean, we hear them all the time just in the process of getting it set up. We're like, oh, that would have been great if we could have, you know, been set up, had the organizational structure to get this going. And I think that's one of the smart things that CCDF is doing. Uh, one of the biggest problems with the Tea Party movement, for instance, was 
they got up, they got going, they got people organized. And what happened? The Obama administration came down with the IRS and crushed them because many of them didn't have that proper, the, the financial services set up properly. They didn't have the proper legal backing set up properly. So we're not going to be like that. This is a long-term plan to have that organizational structure to where we can shine a light on what's going on and keep people engaged and keep them organized long-term. Love that. For our radio listeners, you're going to go off to a break in a couple of minutes at the bottom of the hour. It's only three minutes long. Don't go away. We'll be here until top of the next hour, so don't go away. And if you like to listen later to the show, if you are just listening on radio, you can always hear the entire show at americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. The show goes out live there. The shows are up there later, past interviews. Also on Rumble and all the usual places that you might go, but we'd like to encourage you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and come back after your radio break. Okay, so I want to talk about the legal thing for a minute. You're, I, you know, it's really interesting. I, the legal thing in Florida that occurred with respect to Disney and Disney having, and, and, and you know, I guess essentially it was a vaccine mandate for their employees. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until I guess maybe a day ago when we, uh, that CCDF was involved. I mean, how did they even get involved in that in that dispute? Well, I mean, it, it was the actual employee. Uh, he heard that CCDF was here in Polk County, and he thought, you know what? How can I get a hold of this guy? So he wrote, and he got a hold of Steve, and Steve talked to him on the phone. And he says, you know what? Yeah, we're going to come out. We're going to help you. We're going to put together a um, a website called Goofy. What is it? What was it Goofy? Goofy vaccine. Oh, Goofy vaccine yeah. or yes, something. I saw that actually. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so uh, he they did that and he got the word out. And uh, the first time they went out in f- uh, front of Disney and protesters, I think there was like fifty. The next day it was a hundred. Then all of a sudden you've got these nurses and doctors that are having to deal with these mandates, and they're like. We're coming out too. So then it just grew organically to three, to four, to 500. And uh, eventually they, they backed down. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, I, I just, you know, the other thing I was thinking, uh, um, Dan, you made the point about um, coordinating with media. You know, in grassroots groups, I mean, heaven knows I love them, but there can be people who are activists. They may not have all the facts entirely straight, or they may not really understand where the issue fits in perspective. And so to have an organization, being a spokesperson with maybe a little more depth of understanding, uh, it, it was makes someone in media more comfortable to cover the story. Absolutely, right? yeah. Is that fair? Oh, I, I would completely agree. Yeah, when when I was in news, you know what, I would get tips all the time, obviously, and and you would spend so much time checking them out, and by the time the tip got filtered back to you as as the reporter, uh, there were so many inaccuracies that you had to shift sift through. And people were repeating them at this point on social media. Well, you know, the truth of it is newsworthy. It's absolutely a story. But then you have to filter through kind of that game of telephone that goes on on social media where you have certain aspects of the story that may not be true. And then, of course, that's what the left uses to discredit the original story to begin with. So what CCDF can do with this Matthew 18 process is we can start from the ground roots when somebody identifies a problem with their school system or at the county commission or wherever it is. We can walk them through that process to where you're not jumping out ahead of it and making allegations that may not be 100% true. We want to make sure that we have it right from the very beginning. And that's so crucial when you present a story to a news outlet because once you've lost that credibility with that reporter, you're not going to get it back very easily because that reporter's not, oh, you're, you're the guy that I had to spend two weeks sifting through all the things that weren't yeah. exactly true last time. So can I really trust you this time? Yeah. So yeah, we need to build that trust with credible news stories. 
So the uh, website overall for CCDF is CCDF, I think I sent it to you, CCDF. It's a CCDFUSA.com. And uh, they can go there and they can sign up as an ambassador. And what that is, is they will go in, they will pick our county for us. It's Collin County. And they will sign up and tell us what their interests are. And this is how we get volunteers. Uh, if it's elections or if it's follow the money or if it's education, those are our three strongest pillars that we work on. Um, then they can tell us and we will follow up with them. Um, also, they can go there and they get our newsletter. And so they'll get all kinds of information that's going on around in our county um, and then they can also donate of course we need reoccurring uh, donations in order to be able to pay five to ten employees full-time to do this so that we do get the story right you in Collin County intend ultimately a five to ten paid employees that's exactly what we intend wow okay so then recurring donations really are needed I was gonna say for our yeah. listeners you know um, I'm there are a lot of places to make donations. And obviously in this season, candidates, elected officials, everyone's got their hand out. Uh, but a, this is like a sustaining project. It, you is, know, mm -hmm. which it is, is sustaining. Beyond just the particular election season, a particular uh, right. person. So so what if you're located in California or someplace else you want to start this? Can you? How do you start one? This, this is a great question. Um, basically, when Steve got this organization and pulled it together, they had some really good people putting how can we save America? How can we save America from this? And I think there's like 3,100 counties in the United States. They've identified 100. All you got to do is watchdog these 100. And we are one of them. Collin County is one of them. Dallas, Denton, and Tarrant. If we can sit here in Texas, I think they've identified 11 in Texas. If we can hold tight and watchdog these counties in Texas, we will save our 38 electoral votes. We will not give Texas over to anyone that is trying to take it wrongly. Yeah. Okay, actually, that's interesting. I did not know that. So this mm -hmm. effort right now, CCDF, is really targeting the 100 counties they think are essentially, it's a little bit akin to the swing states, the counties that can change everything. And if the counties can be held on to, then, um, then you hold on to. And, and by the way, your, your line about saving America, that's my line. That's why I always see people say, <laughs> why did you do this show? To save America. To I don't care America. about fashion, football. I only care about saving America. That's my agenda. So um, I want that's to all we through. care about, too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and Texas. If you yeah. save America, you'll save Texas. Maybe Texas needs to save America. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm very grateful that both of you came in. Any last thoughts you want to share with the listeners about what CCDF does, uh, they can get involved, or you know, why it matters? Well, I was going to say, if you just go to that website, you can sign up as an ambassador. It's free, and you can learn more about us, and I think you'll like what you see. And, you know, if we don't do what we say we're going to do, you don't have to give us any money. You can check it out. And it's something that I think has to happen because, Debbie, the truth is we can, we can tell you about all these ideas that we have, and they're great ideas, but the truth is the left is already doing all of this. Yeah. We're about 20 years late to this party. Mm -hmm. And so the left has the organization in place. They have the funding structure. You heard Steve talk about BlackRock and Vanguard. Who's funding all of this left-wing nonsense out there in our schools, the riots, all of the CRT being taught to our kids? It's you and me in our 401ks because they figured out a way to tap into the financial system and fund it. We have the truth on our side. We just need to get the truth out. And one more thing, Debbie. Please go ahead. Um, so just think about this. We have one, one million people in Collin County. Collin County. Um, if 500 people chose to give $50 a month to Collin County, we've met our budget. 500 of a million people. That's all it takes.
So um, that's $50 a month, 500 people. We can protect your county. We can get five to 10 full-time employees. We can get 200 volunteers. Uh, we have that building as we go. They are coming at us volunteering right now. Uh, we started at 11 with elections and we have over 40 now volunteering in the elections. It just grew in three weeks that quick. So people are really fired up. People are really wanting to save Collin County. And if you save Collin County, you're going to save Texas. Save Texas. Yeah. And that saves America. Yeah, and saves America. There you go. Tara Schulte and Dan Thomas, thank you so much for coming in today. Hey, I appreciate it. it was thank you for having yeah, us. Great to fun. see both of you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Okay, my friends, I'm going to make another shameless pitch for my um, summit. So I believe Joe has our flyer up, or he can put it up for you to see. Okay, here we go. Here's the story. This is a great summit. Even if you've gone to CPAC or all sorts of other great things, this is a great summit right here in Texas, sponsored by America Can We Talk. We call it the Women for Freedom Summit. But to be very clear, it is for men and for women. We have men and women speakers, men and women in the audience. This is our third annual. We have great speakers. In fact, I was just um, texting yesterday uh, with Simone Gold. She is newly released from federal prison after wrongly being charged in connection with January 6th. Uh, so she is going to be here uh, speaking on Friday night and on um and on Saturday, so she, she's just a rock star of a conservative, and she's a doctor, she's a lawyer, she's smart as all get out, um, and she can't wait to tell you about her experience on January 6th, the rule of law. Uh, Sydney Powell, great friend also, been on the show many times, she's going to talk about the state of the rule of law in America. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, a former military guy, he, he was a commander in the U.S. Space Force, removed from his position for writing a book explaining that Marxism has taken over America's military. He's here to talk about Marxism. Kevin Freeman, brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, he's a host of his own um, uh, show on, uh, I don't know the name of the network, but I'll come to it in, in, in a moment. But anyway, um, he has a show, Economic War Room, um, and he's going to talk about ESG and digital currency and all sorts of great things. Laura Logan has signed on. Yahoo, Laura Logan. Laura Logan will be here. I'm going to tell you something that she wrote. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow on the show tomorrow. She is a incredibly deep thinker. Laura Logan recently did the, the uh, film Selection Code about election fraud, and she actually featured Tina Peters in Colorado. Uh, Frank Gaffney, longtime family friend, founder of Center for Security Policy, national security guru. Uh, Gordon Chang, smartest guy on the planet about what China is trying to do to America. Uh, really extraordinary speaker and thinker. Uh, he'll be talking about uh, China and what they're doing in America today. Reggie Littlejohn uh, worked for years in China fighting forced abortion. She's now helping awaken the American people to understand all of the vaccine passports and efforts to keep track of you are all going to take us down the road to the China's uh, credit score system. And let me just summarize her remarks. You'll have no freedom left. She's brilliant, wonderful speaker. Dr. Richard Bartlett, another great friend. Uh, he was among the early advocates during COVID to say there is simply no reason, no reason to sit in home in fear. If you have COVID, there are effective treatments to be given. And he advocated a mice. In fact, he broke the story in my show talking about the impact of inhaled budesonide as a, a tremendously effective treatment for those struggling with breathing. Uh, if they had COVID, uh, he has been a brave warrior in, in countless ways on COVID policy. Uh, Sharona Bishop, a close ally of Tina Peters. Sharona Bishop had the 
pleasure of her door being broken down also by the FBI. She wasn't even in Washington January 6th, but she was speaking up and talking about the um, election fraud that was uncovered by Tina Peters, who's also speaking that day. Tina Peters, currently not permitted to leave the state of Colorado, so she'll be appearing via, via video. Uh, we um, have Raymond Ibrahim joining us. Every time he's on the show, I get so many comments saying, I love this guy. Raymond Ibrahim, uh, his parents are Egyptian. They grew up Muslim and in Egypt. They came to America. He's very Christian. He's a brilliant scholar. He can read, write, and speak uh, English and Arabic and Hebrew, and he reads the ancient Arabic texts in the original language, and he, more than anyone I know of, can tell you the actual danger of Islamic Jihad is written into the words of the Quran, written into every uh, honored writing in the, in the religion of Islam, and he's basically here to say, do not lose track of the fact that what you're, what you're watching in the world today, Islamic Jihad, violence committed in the name of Islam, these people are not contorting their religion, they're practicing what it teaches. Doesn't mean that every single Muslim in America engages that, it does mean that it is completely dishonest to claim that Islam is being uh, abused or misinterpreted by the jihadists. Uh, we have Jason Isaac. He is a, a brilliant guy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, he is here to tell you straight out about climate change, fossil fuels. Let me summarize. Fossil fuels aren't hurting anything. The CO2 level isn't hurting anything. And we need more fossil fuels, and we cannot replace fossil fuels with a presently available, allegedly sustainable. He's brilliant on energy. He's fun to listen to. Love him. Uh, Sam Faddis, I would say, is always the smartest guy in the room. He's a former CIA operative, many, many years of uh, seriously um, consequential uh, operations he did. He writes at, he and his wife founded And Magazine. They have now moved to Substack. Uh, brilliant guy writing about America's foreign policy as well as domestic policy. Uh, just a great analyst and thinker. Uh, Evan Sayet is a former leftist, but I still like him very much because he's now conservative. He's a Hollywood guy, and he wrote a book called The Woke Supremacy, and he's explaining essentially what the woke agenda is. And he's fun to listen to. He actually does comedy, but he's not supposed to be funny this day. He's supposed to be serious. Last one, Christy Hutcherson, an activist at the America's Southern Border, made numerous films of the activity at the Southern Border and what's really happening down there uh, to women. Um, and her basic argument and point is, you know, we are all responsible for the failure to enforce the Southern Border and that we as American citizens need to be very active pushing our government to enforce the border because we're actually, because we fail to enforce it, we are responsible for the conduct and the mistreatment of women and little boys, little girls at the hands of the cartels and the drug gangs uh, south of the border. She's very dynamic. Every time she's in the show, people get all wound up. She's wonderful. So it'd be a great, great, great summit. You can go to the website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And right there on our website, you can buy your tickets. You can sponsor. We need sponsors. Love to have more sponsors. We can, you can buy your ticket. Last year, we had people coming in from all over the country. Love to have that again this time. Love to have you join us that day. It is a very dynamic, fast-paced, deeply informative uh, day. I've asked every speaker to talk about their issue plus why it matters to you, why you should care what their issue is and what you can do about it. Because everyone's, it's the main question I get. Most of my public speaking and questions from the audience is, 
What can I do about it? Tell me something I can do. They're all going to tell you something you could do. So that is our summit. Do not miss it. And then our last topic for today, I talk about what should patriots fight for in 2024. And the reason I did that is this. Uh, first of all, my husband um, is at a conference in Florida with his business partner, who is an Israeli citizen. They met in Florida for a variety of business reasons, but they also went to a conference. And um, Eric, my husband, told me that one of the best speakers there was named Rachel Bovard. Her last name is B-O-V-A-R-D. I actually know people who know her. And over the years, numerous friends of mine have said, you've got to get this lady on your show. She's brilliant. Well, Eric, uh, my husband, said in this day of speeches that she was beyond extraordinary. She was really, really good. And her speech that she gave is actually posted now as an article at The Federalist. It's called National Conservatism's Ideas Are Winning, But We Need a Plan to Carry Them Out. So she's kind of talking about the idea that in America, the vast majority of Americans, we are on board with the conservative ideas. We are on issue after issue. I'm going to hit some of her issues in a moment. But she's basically saying the ideas are on the right are, they are what the vast majority believe. They are mainstream, Main Street, apple pie America. That's always my term. I mean, we need to stop acting like conservative ideas are far right or extreme or radical. The ideas of conservatism are mainstream, Main Street America. That's what they are. She's writing about those and talking about those and just saying we need to go from wonderful policy papers being written and speeches being given to translate those into, into uh, and values spoken, translate those into an agenda, a plan, and, and tell America, we're going to do this when you get give us a majority. And we have to make sure that the, the uh, candidates we back are on board. It's not enough to have an R by your name or to claim, oh yeah, look at me, I'm conservative. Do you understand the issues that matter and where are you on them? So she was, it was extraordinary. I'm going to do more of that in a second. Uh, I also saw that Newt Gingrich took out uh, a, a little piece at Washington Examiner to his five-point plan to secure a Republican majority uh, this November. He's talking about, like in a few months, the uh, midterm elections and what his uh, issues are, what he would suggest the issues be. Uh, there's also a plan put out by Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Minority Leader. Um, uh, you know, he's a he's a Republican, a head of the Republican Party in the House side in Washington. He's got a plan also, and uh, as well does uh, Florida Senator Rick Scott. I read Rick Scott's plan. I really like it. I like him. He's not the most exciting speaker you ever heard in your entire life, but he's really good at, at thinking, and he's got a great plan. And I wanted to raise these to say this. On this show, I talk about saving America. It is the only thing I care about. I want America to be, I want it to be filled with the promise that the Declaration intended our, our country to have, and I want the promises of the Constitution which was set up to enable the promises of the Declaration to flourish, to give structure, to give safety, to give security to America, because there's no reason, despite all of this talk recently about how every single republic lasts about 250 years, you know, that means we're up 2026, America's all over. You hear more people talking about that, that July 4th, 2026, you know, that's when America's all done because we've run out of the rule that says republics only last for 250 years. I want to say again, that is not that rule, that 
republics or democracies only last 250 years. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not in the Bible. It's not a law. It's just a historical observation. America's founding ideas can flourish in perpetuity, eternally, forever, if we hold on to them and insist upon them. That is what I see as the foundational idea behind all these plans, and they're all great plans and great ideas. I'm in favor of all of them. But the big goal for people who actually love this country and want to preserve it, it has got to be to remind America, to tell America again, why America is unique, extraordinary, and great. It has nothing to do with race, ethnicity, skin color, national origin, or any feature of anyone's physique. It has nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with the idea that America was founded on ideas rooted in the scriptures, the promise as recited in the Declaration of Independence that all of us are created equal, all men and women are created equal, that we are endowed because, because, because we exist, because we were born, we're endowed with inalienable rights, including life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. When the founders wrote that, what they're talking about is that these, this is the actual eternal definition of man, of women, of people, that we, are, we have a creator and that we have God-given rights because we were born. The founders weren't saying, hey, let's try this snappy idea and, and lay that down as our marker and then create a country around it. They were saying America is going to give voice, to give place, to give meaning to the reality of the truth that has always been true for every single person ever born on the planet, that we have God-given rights. Only here in America, we're going to honor those. And they created a, a structure of the Constitution, a structure of our country with a federal government and state government and federalism and all the things we talk about in the show. The idea was all of that's there in order to protect America. I think there should be more and more conversation. And I know these aren't snazzy talking points like the left makes about we promise you free lunch and free education and free health care. And these are not... You know, these ideas I talk about all the time, they're not just, you know, they're not specific promises as to issues. But they are the reason America is great. And we need to re-educate that. We need to be teaching that in our schools and telling our children and telling our grandchildren and insisting that the people we support for office understand those ideas. We need to have Americans have a reawakening, a rebirth, a rediscovery, a recommitment to the ideas of America. Because if you hold on to those, all these other policies we'll talk about, they all will play out within the realm of the concept of what America is supposed to be. They will all work out well. I will tell you very briefly that where um, the extremely brilliant Rachel Bovard, now I am going to try to chase her down, see if I can get her on this show, but um, she's talking about the idea that there are many common values and goals that the vast majority of Americans want. There is not, we, we keep saying it's a deeply divided nation. No, actually it's not. The vast majority of Americans want essentially the same things. They want safety. They want security. They want respect for their family. They want the capacity to work hard and keep most of what they earn. They want the capacity to be able to take care of their children, to house, educate, and care for their children. They want to have a country that has, that they are surrounded by people who also love their country and love their freedom. So she talks about the idea that in America, you have all these people on the same page, and you have people in Washington 
who will echo those ideas and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in favor of that. Yeah, family. But they don't execute on them. They don't really listen because they're not really on board or they're more on board with holding on to their own power than they are to, even though it can be difficult in the face of the media onslaught that attacks everything good and right, but they get to Washington and discover it's easy to go home during their campaign, their uh, breaks from office and say they care about those things and come back to Washington and not execute on them. This is the, this is the MO for too many people. Um, so she's saying essentially the conservatives are winning the argument in America. They have won it, but they, they don't have a Washington willing to, um, willing to follow through on it. So she's saying it becomes America's job. We have to have a governing coalition that embraces these ideas and, and, and insists upon them. And then she also talks about um, this, all of this takes a massive investment of time to get a governing coalition that embraces these ideas of America. And that's why she, she refers to the feud between Mitch McConnell, the fairly useless uh, majority leader in the Senate, and Senator Rick Scott, uh, who's put, put out a brilliant plan. Um, and she's saying, you know, Senator McConnell is all bent out of shape at Rick Scott. And this is because Senator McConnell lives in the world that the left has created, lives in the world, the uniparty ruling class, deep state snake pit of Washington. And he doesn't want anything like the founding ideas of America to be given voice, to be given place, to be given power. He's like Rick Scott is, in Mitch McConnell's worldview, Rick Scott is being disloyal to the team of the ruling class because Rick Scott's actually speaking to the people and inspiring the people. Um, and anyway, this brilliant piece, in fact, you'll see, I put it in my closing slide. You should read what Rachel Bovard's saying. I also tell you very quickly that Nick, that um, Newt Gingrich has a five-point plan and it's kind of more like, you know, policy focuses Republicans should have. Um, you know, he says, um, you know, he's basically, he, Newt Gingrich, is saying, stop playing the game of letting the media keep your attention on Donald Trump. I actually, I will say, I understand why he says that, because of all the time of pundits and uh, informed policymakers are focused on, you know, is Donald Trump a good guy, bad guy? You know, should he have said this? Is this tweet bad? Blah, blah, blah. You're ignoring the reality that the American people live in the reality of our country. They live under the policies the Biden administration has created. And they live in an America that is deeply dysfunctional. We've abandoned the border. We have just, just a slew of outrageous actions by the Biden administration. And Gingrich is saying, don't spend all your time talking about just Donald Trump personally, even though Donald Trump deserves our praise and loyalty and support. Uh, second, uh, Newt Gingrich is saying, hit on crime. I mean, the country is in the midst of a ridiculous crime wave put in place largely due to the policies that the left pushes. You know, essentially, let a guy out who's committed a violent crime. He doesn't have to wait in jail till his trial comes, so he commits another violent crime. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The crime issues in America are nearly all can be laid at the feet of the anti-American left of the Democrat Party. The ridiculous adjustments to not requiring bond not, or, or uh, making a light bail so they can get out easily. They commit more crimes. They go back in front of the judge who lets them out again. I mean, America is sick of it. America is sick of the crime wave. Um, so Newt Gingrich saying, stop talking, uh, focusing on Trump, focus on crime. I agree, focus on crime. 
Tie the flood of illegal immigrants, which by itself is a massive problem. He's saying tie the flood of illegal immigrants um, to the overdose death, drug overdose, presence of illegal drugs, and the drug overdose deaths now surpassing 100,000 people per year. Hang that around the neck of the left because they won't enforce the border. Uh, fourth, uh, protect parents, insist on their rights to know their, what their kids are being taught in school. Um, and, and fifth, a better funded but reformed Pentagon. Basically, get America's military and Pentagon back on the job of defending America being the best fighting force we can. Before I go off, we're going to go off to the end for our radio listeners in just a moment. I want to add on to this. I do encourage you to read Rachel Bovar's article, and you can read Newt Gingrich's well, too. But I also want to say that everyone is tiptoeing around, dancing around, and not really squarely saying what to me are the two most important things that will resonate with the millions of voters in this country who are outraged by what the Biden administration is doing to this country. The first one I already said, there needs to be a resurgence, a renewal of the love of idea of America and explaining what America is and calling out the 1619 Project and the BLM crap and everything else that gets spews out from the American left all of that needs to be openly denounced by the conservatives as anti-American. And related to that, we have to have brave people in the Republican Party speaking up about the need to detect election fraud and fix it. We will not have victories in any elections until we fix election fraud. And the idea is so many people willing to run for office and keep on touting, you know, crime and military and border, and they won't talk about election fraud. It is cowardly on the part of any politician who will not address that issue. Radio listeners, the end of the show today. Come back tomorrow at 3 p.m. to America Can We Talk and check out our website, americacanwetalk.org. For everybody else, at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our day today uh, talking about Oberlin and BYU, truth and tenacity win. Oberlin College is paying Gibson's Bakery $36 million for defaming their owners and workers by falsely calling them racist. Oberlin students were caught shoplifting, and the school chose to pursue a path of accusing the bakery of racism for profiling the students. Oberlin shows to function on and push a narrative regardless of reality and facts. BYU now appears after an investigation to be standing by students after a Duke female volleyball player claimed someone in the stands used a racial slur toward her during a game. And there were a lot of kids yelling during the game when anyone's serving. I mean, I'm sorry, this is college sports. Of course they were. Um, BYU now appears after an investigation to be standing by a students after a Duke female volleyball player claimed someone in the stands used a racial slur toward her during a game. One report claimed no racial slurs were discovered in the review of the game tape and no evidence emerged that BYU student blamed by Duke said anything inappropriate. The left's relentless painting of America as systemically racist is political intended to divide, and has deeply harmed American society, distorting the thinking of millions of Americans. Real racism is evil, and the overwhelming majority of Americans deplore it. And then, what should patriots fight for in 2024? Why it matters to you. I want you to read this article. I put the link right there. It's called, or the, I put the title, National Conservatism's Ideas Are Winning, 
but we need a plan to carry them out. You can find that at thefederalist.com. New Gingrich's thinking and Kevin McCarthy's plan and Senator Scott's plan are all circling around real issues that do matter. But to ever win back America and the future of freedom, the two most important ideas are, number one, admitting and fixing the election fraud issue, and two, reminding Americans what America is, how unique and extraordinary and great it is, and call out the reality that today's ruling class in D.C. has let it slip away. And my third slide is my summit. I wanted to put it up there again. Now's the time to get tickets. Go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. Get your tickets. Come to Dallas October 15th. You'll have a great time. You, I hope I meet every single one of you who are there. You'll love our speakers, and you'll love the feeling that actually in America there is an army of brilliant and foreign patriotic Americans fighting for the, uh, the ideas that will save America and preserve America's freedom. And so I hope I see you there. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to America Community Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you